0: It's Philosophy Talk.
1: The 9000 series is the most reliable computer ever made. No 9000 computer has ever made a mistake or distorted information.
2: What good old-fashioned artificial intelligence got wrong, connectionism gets right. Connectionism. A theory that promises to solve mysteries about how humans learn and reason.
0: They didn't have connectionist computers in the film 2001. They got into trouble.
1: I know that you and Frank were planning to disconnect me. And I'm afraid that's something I cannot allow to happen.
2: Connectionism versus the language of thought. Computers that can learn from experience in the way that humans do. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Our guest is Jay McClellan from Stanford University. Connectionism, coming up on Philosophy Talk, after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of
0: KALW in San Francisco. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus.
2: Today we're going to discuss an innovative theory of how the mind works based on how the brain and its neurons actually work. That theory is called connectionism.
0: Classical computers, like the one you probably have on your desk, do many things quite well that we humans don't do so well. And they do badly many things that we do pretty well, like learning. So they're really not very good models of the human mind, but neural computers do well what we do well and tend to do less well what we do less well. They're they're a much more promising model for me. Yeah,
2: one of the things you mentioned, learning from experience is, is one of the things that humans do well, and neural computers do that well. So we'll start by looking at the problem of learning and what kind of problem it presents and show how that helps motivate connectionism.
0: Next, we'll examine a few of the main ideas behind connectionism. Ideas that explain in a biological and neurological way how the mind does what it does.
2: You know, connectionism has had some remarkable successes, but there are still skeptics out there who think it's entirely on the wrong track. We'll close by examining the basis for that skepticism.
0: So, Ken, if you opened up my brain and put it under some kind of scope, what what, would, what do you think you'd see?
2: Well, you'd see, first of all, a bunch of neurons, and they contain a lot of electrical chemicals. There, are the synaptic connections between neurons. Uh, electrical impulses travel along those synaptic conge- connections, and when one neuron receives an electrical impulse from another, it does different things. One thing it can do is get really excited and start sending out more electrical impulses of its own, or sometimes it get really kind of tamped down and start sending out fewer and fewer and fewer. And basically, basically what goes on in the brain.
0: Well, Ken, I'm very impressed with your knowledge and I thought your imitation of a neuron was particularly good. But uh, let me tell you, if you open up my mind, you're going to find a lot more than that. I don't know about yours, but my mind is full of thoughts and ideas and all kinds of interesting things like that. Where where are you going to find those things
2: in all this gooey stuff? Where are the thoughts? Where are the ideas? Well, you know, your problem, John, is that you're starting from the top of the mind and trying to work down to the bottom of the brain, and you're kind of puzzled at how you can get there. But connectionism tells you to start over. Start in a different place. Start from the bottom of the brain rather than the top of the mind, and work your way up to the mind. Uh, You've kind of Well, you think of these little dumb little neurons. Well, think of each one as kind of a very limited computing device. And then think of networks of neurons as a less limited computing device. And then networks of networks of those, you know, each with their kind of specific job to do. Individually, they don't do much. But when you put them all together, you get a device with an amazing computational power. And that device is the mind.
0: Well, let me try a metaphor to see if I'm catching on at all. Suppose you're in your office at Stanford. You don't want to be bothered by textbook salesmen, but you don't mind being bothered by students because, after all, they pay all the bills. So you put some detectors outside your door to tell the difference, but instead of putting one big student or salesman detector, like having an assistant just look... You decide to string together a bunch of many more limited
2: detectors. Yeah, right. Maybe one of the detectors just looking for skateboards, and one's just looking for neckties, and one's just looking for whether the shirt's tucked in or shirt's tucked out. And if it sees, you know, say the skateboard detector, it says, skateboard, skateboard, skateboard. It gets really excited when it sees a skateboard or something. And, and, and none, none of, so none of these detectors individually detects a student or a salesman,
0: Right. Well, I guess the next thing you'd want to do then is add, add some higher-level detectors. Their job is to detect uh, the output of the detectors. Maybe one of the new detectors tries to calculate the age of the person at the door or, or, or to determine just how flaky this person at the door is. Maybe a third tries to determine the maturity level. All I have to go on is output from the first-level
2: detectors. Right, and then you get a third level of detectors that takes the output from the second-level detectors and kind of sums them up and adds them up and says, oh, there's a middle-aged shirt tucked in, tie-wearing, and it says salesman, right? Or the other one says students. And that's how it works. You, you don't, none of these high-level detectors don't see the outside world. It just sees these other neurons, as it were.
0: Well, we've just described in metaphorical terms a connectionist neural network. Each little neuron has a very limited job. Their computational power is in the numbers and the organization. If the brain is a computer, probably it's that kind of computer.
2: Now, traditionally, one thing that separated the mind-brain from sort of ordinary classical computers was their ability to deal with and understand spoken language. One place where connectionism has had an impact is in speech recognition devices. A roving philosophical reporter, April Demboski, went out and talked to some computers. She files this report.
3: We've all had our fair share of talking to computers. Thanks for calling American Airlines. At airlines, banks, directory assistance. Main menu. Please say reservations, light and gate information, or you can say more options. Some computers are more understanding than others. Let me ask you a few questions so I can transfer your call correctly. But how exactly do they know what we're saying?
1: The technology takes a huge amount of examples of, speech, I mean literally tens of thousands of hours of speech, and massages it for a huge amounts of time to come up with a model of the way we talk.
3: Bill Mizel is a former professor of electrical engineering at USC.
1: They have dictionaries where words are spelled phonetically and they have models of the way we pronounce those phonemes and then puts together those models of phonemes and says, okay, here's how that word must be pronounced. And then it matches it against what you were saying when you say, call into a call center.
3: At first, these programs were designed to save call-in center employees from answering the same questions all day long. Today, companies are developing products aimed at making the customer's life easier.
0: In a time when staying connected means everything.
3: A new system from Ford and Microsoft lets drivers control the entertainment features of their cars without pushing any buttons. Introducing Sync. Call, Tom Sell. Play track, middle of the night. These systems are not recognizing words. Even letters are too complicated. Instead, the systems are taught to recognize fractions of letters. Dan Klein is assistant professor of computer science at UC Berkeley. Just like different musical instruments have different frequencies because they're shaped differently, as you change the shape of your mouth, different frequencies appear in the sounds that come out. And that's actually what we use to identify what people are saying. So you can say, call, and then someone in your address book. Or you can say, play, and then some song that's in your iPod. This is especially important for more complex recognition programs, like dictation software. My name is Kitty Cohn. I'm retired, and I'm working on a novel now. Cone has been using speech recognition software since the early 1990s. I have muscular dystrophy, and it's a progressive disability. So I lost the muscles in my arms and hands that would Enable me to um, use a keyboard. Wake up. Click Dragon Pad. Dear Jorge, comma. Today, Cone uses a program called you, Dragon best Naturally Speaking. With it, like she tool? sends emails, works best on best her friend. novel, and writes letters to her son. Have you gotten the molding and the new paint yet? Cone's voice is picked up I'm by a microphone on the top of her screen, computer monitor. If she makes a mistake, scratch that. She edits with her voice. Back two words, comma. With Dragon, Cone types up to 80 words a minute. New paragraph, much love, comma, mom. Though the technology of speech recognition has improved dramatically in the last several decades, engineer Bill Mizell says that's not what's important.
1: The idea is the functionality, not the technology. The model I like to think of that we're moving toward is that of a personal assistant. So you don't go navigating trying to guess what category your application that you want on the phone is. You just say what you want and get it. Sake.
2: The next bold move meets the road.
3: Technology. It's keeping us better connected, one new gadget at a time. For Philosophy Talk, I'm April Demboski.